0: Welcome to PX49 Today. I'm Jess Noonan and as always I'm joined by my colleague Peter Jewell. Hi Pete.
1: Hi Jess. Listeners, um, thank you for taking your time in your busy lives to listen to our podcast. We try to do our best and we're very excited. We're coming up to PX50. If you've got any suggestions about our podcast, please get in touch with us.
0: You can get in touch with us at planningexchange at gmail.com or by visiting our website. We'd also encourage you to leave us a review on the podcast app as this will help us reach more listeners across the globe. Today we're thrilled to be sitting down with Kate Roffey, the Director of Deals at the City of Wyndham. I've seen Kate speak a number of times over the years and have always found her to be an incredibly impressive, engaging and honest presenter. Very excited to have her on the podcast today. Kate has an extensive Sorry, Kate has extensive experience as a CEO and senior executive within government, commercial and not-for-profit sectors and has held significant leadership positions within the industry, including at Tennis Australia as a manager of the Melbourne Park Redevelopment, CEO of the Committee for Melbourne and most recently as the Director of City Deals at the City of Wyndham. Welcome to the show, Kate. Good morning. Good morning, listeners out there. <laughs> Kate, can I ask you to take us through your career highlights and what your background was prior to your role with Tennis Australia? Yeah, so um, my actual background, strangely enough, is
2: as a biomechanist and a sports psychologist. So I come um, nowhere near the city sort of shaping role that I do now in terms of background. But over the years, I think um, moved into a series of jobs that uh, brought me closer to that thinking around big strategic developments that focus on something like the tennis centre here, for example, a major facility in the middle of the city. So the question was, how do we join it up transport-wise? How do we activate it? How do we use it outside of the tennis tournament? And that started me thinking about a whole range of connectivity issues, and in particular, how something like a tennis tournament and a sport facility can really activate a city centre. I spent a lot of time overseas working with the different groups, the Yankees and the Mets and the Dallas Cowboys and the Arizona Cardinals and Manchester United, looking at the way they had activated their facilities, and in particular in the States, how they used a facility as a focal point for a city development. And it's made me start to think more about the fact that here we tend to put housing first and then develop infrastructure around it. And I thought, that just can't be the right way to do it. So from the Committee for Melbourne talked more about value capture and various other elements, and that landed me at uh, Wyndham doing deals.
0: So your title is the Director of Deals. Can you tell listeners a little bit about Wyndham and your position there?
2: Yeah, it's, it's unusual. People always go, oh, it's, um, I'm the Director of Deals, Investment and Major Projects. And they go, oh, the Director of Deals, that sounds <laughs> interesting. And it is a <laughs> fascinating job. Um, I, I, because of my background, it's, and it's fairly unique, and it just brings together a strange mix of experiences in the city-shaping sort of spa- space, along with value capture and an understanding of transit-oriented developments, and TIFs and TODs, and various other PPP structures. So that gave me an opportunity to actually do something down at Wyndham where we have a lot of uh, land, we've got a lot of greenfield land down there, to strike deals with the private sector to actually develop infrastructure that normally wouldn't get built out there because you'd be reliant on a state or federal government. So I always say if you wanna create an exciting future, you have to create it yourself. You can't sit there and wait for someone else to do it for you.
1: Kate, is, I believe, is one of the fastest-growing municipalities in the country, is that? Mm -hmm.
2: Yes, it is. We have – to put it in some context, because I can tell you that I think we've grown uh, 38% between the last two censuses. doesn't mean much, but when I say to people, we have 95 babies born every week, in mm. Wyndham, it gives you an idea of just how quickly we are growing as a population.
1: Mm. Uh, business facilitation is a, a relatively rare job position in local government. Do you think this type of role will expand?
2: I think it has to and and credit to Wyndham City my background is not in local government at all I come from from business I come from sport and in fact one of those things I vowed I'd never do when I finished at the committee for Melbourne and was thinking what will I do next was go to local government despite being asked um, many times but Wyndham had a real vision our our CEO Kelly Grigsby out there really wanted to to shape our own future and realise that we can't actually do it by sitting there waiting for someone else to do it for us so it is innovative and creative but something like the A-League deal which I'm sure we'll talk about um, as we go through the podcast, that changes the way that everybody has to think about delivery of infrastructure. It's not good enough to just sit there anymore um, with your hand out and say, state or federal government, you build it, because there just isn't enough money. So we have to be more creative about funding, infrastructure, and I think local governments have to play a really significant role in this space.
1: And can you talk a little bit about the stadium project?
2: Yeah, so um, one of those things that I was approached by um, the Western Melbourne group uh, guys I did the bid with, and they said, we have a plan to build a privately built sports stadium, 15,000 seats uh, in the West, uh, but we need to do a deal. To do this, and I said, well, I am the director of deals, so I'm your person. <laughs> um, and so we worked out a value capture deal um, with a piece of land that we own as the City of Wyndham, and uh, they will bring the A League element. We collectively worked on the bid, so I was part of the bid team with um, just, just Morris, Kate uh, and uh, for, and for Steve. people
1: outside the country. The A League is
2: is the national uh, soccer tournament for those uh, football confusing here in melbourne where we have uh, four codes at the moment so yes it's the the national football competition here in in australia and it's just expanded by two new teams so there were two new licenses issued at a national level and it's um you know a major expansion so we wanted to be part of that and under that ethos that i spoke about before nobody's going to come out and build a stadium for us, state or federal government. It's just not a priority. And as I said to our treasurer, we want schools and hospitals built. So if you're gonna spend money out here, build that essential stuff, I'll work out a way that we can build a sports stadium. And that's what we've done.
0: And so what were the challenges in going through that process? I'm I'm sure there were many. (laughs) Yes, well,
2: speaking of, um, as I'm sure a large contingent of our listeners are planners, um, we will have um, planning, so we need to rezone and and go through all of that process now that we have a licence. We couldn't do that before because without a licence there was no deal. But initially the the big challenge was actually how you strike a deal that works for the community, uh, as in our citizens of Wyndham. And also actually works for the private investors. And uh, the trick with doing that was a residential development, which is um, the value capture element of it. So there'll be a residential build in there. The developers uh, pay market rate for that land, so it's not given to them. They actually pay for the land, they develop it, and the uplift that they get... Uh, in commercial terms, from developing that residential land goes to pay the financing for the stadium. So, at the money, at the moment, uh, Wyndham City don't need to provide any funding for the stadium and the sporting facilities and nor do state government um, or federal government doesn't mean that we wouldn't like to have the state or federal government involved in a women's centre of excellence or something like that but it's not a requirement and normally the way you do these is you go and say state government federal government you build it for us
1: so the council is exchanging the land for development essentially
2: so uh, so there's uh, three portions of land so if you if you break it down into the what we call the pure um, a league component or the pure sporting component so that's the stadium and the associated facilities you need to have a a football team housed there that land has been exchanged um, for no consideration as we say legally so exchanged for no money um, the deal is that the Western Melbourne Group has to have to provide the facilities, which um, really provide the economic uplift for Wyndham. So you ask where Wyndham is, um, and I'm sure lots of listeners out there are asking where Wyndham is. It wasn't even realistically on anyone's agenda, um, state much less federally, until this came along, and now everyone's going, where is Wyndham? So that branding and positioning is invaluable the residential as i said they pay for that land and we've struck a deal uh, legally to do that and then there's a commercial element as well so we of course would like a hotel um, down there to um, and some retail and that will then be um, purchased as well so it's not a gift of Mm. land part Mm. of it is but the majority isn't
1: exchange kate it would have been a not how did this project fit in with the strategic planning for the area this sounds like it was new yes and there had to be some flexibility to adopt it and to absorb it into the existing is that about right
2: yes so we we just happened to own a a very big tract of uh, land so 100 um, hectares all up And the southern side is actually a town centre. So that's already in the PSP um, for those planners out there. And there's a rough master plan of what that town centre is. The northern part of the site is outside um, a PSP zone at the moment. So it it hasn't been done. And council really owned this land but didn't have any idea what we would use it for. And when they came with this, I said, you know, we really need something that's a focal point and something that when people live there there's actually a real sense of destination for that sense of place place. yeah identity
1: yeah because you're creating it aren't you there it
2: gives Wyndham an identity Mm -hmm. but We want to turn this into a sports city, you know, a real sports precinct. And we've got the opportunity to do that with the town centre across the road. I deliberately picked this site because we have a train station slated to go in there. We have a train line that runs through the middle of it and we have major road connections. So I'm the first one from my days at Committee for Melbourne to say, do not build things without the infrastructure to service it. So we made sure we picked a site that actually had that um, essential infrastructure in place and at least in plan to get it serviced properly.
1: Many people talk about value capture, Kate. I mean, I've heard about this, Jess, for years and years and years, but rarely does it come about. It's normally about train stations and building above it. But um, what do you see some of the advantages of the value capture?
2: It's a, you're exactly right. We've, we've tried to do it a lot, um, particularly at state government. There's not many local governments that have, have tried to do it. We try to do a lot. We can't quite get it right. One, because you need that... Well, you need the sense of understanding and the sense of courage, I think, to actually take a value capture project on for a start. You need a fairly large tract of land or air rights, as you talk about a train station, to actually be able to commercialise and uplift... And there's, your growth councils, yes, we have a lot of land and in a city council it would be difficult to do something like this because you just don't have the land available for the value capture element so you might fit a stadium on but you're not going to have a massive tract of land that you can value capture the housing development. But it's becoming more thought of and things like the Australian Education City which is using another large tract of land, uh, state-owned land down in uh, Werribee, which is within Wyndham, Um, that's again a value-capture-style deal where the government will sell that land and a private developer is proposing to to develop it. The same with the inland commuter rail now that they're talking about. That's a similar sort of value-capture land. Government exchange the land to a developer who will value-capture that land, provide an uplift by building small towns or large towns along the way. That will pay for the rail infrastructure. So we're starting to get the concept of how to do it, because quite frankly, there just isn't enough state or federal money to do everything that we need. We're 20 years behind with infrastructure, so we really need the private sector to to help us work on deals that can accelerate our rate of build.
0: And do you see the economic and social sense in having multiple CBDs and can Werribee play that role?
2: I think, and it's interesting, just the the terminology, I don't think we'll ever have another CBD and I don't think for a a population of 6 million people we need another central business district as in the Melbourne city centre. I think you need that focal point. But we do need those other significant second... Um, city centre style developments and Werribee which is in Wyndham has been marked um, state and federally as a centre of economic significance and we actually need one of the biggest problems we have in Melbourne at the moment is commuters trying to get from the west where all the housing is opening up back to the city where all the jobs are and our freeways are full coming in Um, in the morning and they're full going out in the afternoon. Now, I go contraflow to the traffic down to the Werribee office and it takes me 17 minutes. I mean, it's to to go 25 k's. So we have to stop people needing to come all the way back to the city for the majority of jobs. The only way we can do that is to have job centres in not just in, in Werribee and Wyndham, but also in other areas, Casey and Frankston, which are on the other side of the bay. Here in Melbourne, uh, similar problems, Cranbourne, Pakenham. So we, we do need to get some job centres located out with some sort of density of jobs as well.
1: And, and Kate, you know, how does city or urban formulators, I'll call, us, call mm. that, that role formulators, yes. create the circumstances for high quality employment when in those sort of in those sub-regionals of the metropolitan area, when every other city in the world is trying to do the same,
2: yeah, I think you have to look at what you've got that's unique. So a lot of the time one of the ways um governments try to deal with this is they'll move a government office out to a a regional area, but nothing goes with it, and the people who work there go, I live on the other side of the city, I don't want to work there. It changes. It does create local jobs, but it displaces other people. So I think we need to actually look more organically at growth and say, what don't we have um, established here? What suits our environs and our natural advantages? And how can we actually build on that so that it becomes an organic sort of growth? And I think there is enough. You know, Geelong Deakin Uni have done this really well um, here in um, Victoria, for example, with their carbon fibre. Technologies and, and some of those things. Out at Monash Clayton on the other side of town, they've done some really good things with titanium and biomed and 3D printing. So they've picked advantages that are unusual. They've picked advantages that are going to be future um, industries as well. So not looking backward to what used to be, but they've said, what are we going to need in the next 20 years? And they've um, organically built around that and that's what we are looking to do in in Wyndham as well as actually how do we build something more than just a sports stadium how do we build an education area around that how do we bring other sporting elements out into that precinct.
0: So currently in Wyndham um, obviously there's extreme high population growth where are the jobs currently? So we've got a
2: lot of uh, freight and logistics very very big probably um, our biggest freight and logistics hub out there but again take up very very large tracts of of land and not high density employees like the the building that we're sitting here in the CBD for example so we've got a lot in that space we've got a growing number of small businesses so uh, one of the last reports that came out showed that we had more ABNs set up in our municipality than anywhere else in Australia oh, wow. so uh, a lot of that small business growth we have a, a very educated population moving to our area because it's close to the city um, and they can't afford to live in the inner city ring. So people who work at the universities or work in what we call pink and white collar jobs now are locating down in Point Cook and Truganina and Tarnit and Manor Lakes uh, because it's it's still relatively close to the city and the, it's a little bit more affordable. It's certainly not cheap um, by any standard, the housing anywhere in Victoria at the moment, but it's certainly cheaper than trying to buy in the inner city ring. So I think we're starting to get a lot of that um, educated uh Business people trying to set up and establish exactly what we were talking about their own business within that twenty-minute city, as we talk about. So I'm within twenty minutes of where I live and work and recreate, which would be the ideal.
1: Talking of allowing and encouraging new business, how do we how does local government do that a bit better?
2: Yeah, I think part of that is, again, it's it's not every business. It's what are those businesses that we really have to catalyse growth in, and again, it's looking at that area that is unique to us that's going to provide organic growth and a a platform for greater growth. And I think uh, the role of government is to enable. So it's not to do necessarily, it's to enable these things to happen. So what do we need to do to actually enable businesses to uh, develop their own growth and to accelerate their own rate of growth? We have what we call some catalyst sites that I look after in uh, Werribee City Centre and their um, residential and commercial developments there, again, um, Council owns the land, and we've actually worked with developers to develop up a brief of what we what we need, what we want to see developed there, and then what they need to make it a commercial uh, viable opportunity. Because they're catalyst sites and they're, they're kick-starting some growth and some activity and focus on the Werribee City Centre, we're helping out. That's part of the thing of catalyzing. Once you get a few of them away then it's every man for themselves after that. So I think that's the job of council is help initially get things going. Eventually business will pick it up and start that. But you you have to actually help kickstart that growth, whether it's local, state or federal government. I think there's a lot more of that enabling kickstarting growth and then let it start to develop organically. And that great Utopia episode where they tried to... um help the IT startup sector and they kept saying what can we do and they said well just leave us alone would be the best thing so it comes a point in time where you say this is your space now business you know what you're doing we don't and I think that's a space where governments also need to not be afraid to let it go.
0: Did you feel like you were walking into utopia when you moved over to local (laughs) government? (laughs) I've I've been in a number of utopian um, areas, but I (laughs) I have to say, it's
2: look, for good reason. It's um, heavily legislated because it is um, ratepayers' money as it is with um, state and federal government, and you're the closest to the the actual people who live in your community. So if my bin doesn't get up, fortunately, I can ring the CEO of my local council because I know him. But say, hey, my green bin actually got compacted the other day. I turned around to pick it up, and it was gone in the back of the truck. So you you are actually really at the coal face in um, local government. So it is a very complicated. Uh, level of government to work in and I am astonished having worked in there at how much work they actually get done. It is just amazing because a lot of that stuff that you don't think about, your rubbish getting picked up, your gutters staying clean, uh, your road intersections and things, um, that is the domain of local government and no, they, they do are,
1: an enormous amount of work. They're the quiet heroes behind the scenes, yeah. having worked in local government I think. Mm.
0: Definitely. I just wanted to ask, um, obviously Wyndham has a huge amount of growth. There are... Uh, probably 50 or so local town centres being developed, I think, across Wyndham and probably um, adjoining municipalities. Those town centres are designed through the precinct structure planning process. Um, And I guess the land and the land uses are kind of set fairly early on. Those town centres are often then not delivered for five, ten years plus. How do we then ensure that we've still got enough flexibility in the design of those town centres to ensure that they're being able to deliver niche and um, specialist precincts.
2: And uh, this—that's a, a really good point because we're looking at um, PSP designs that were done before there was any sort of growth in Correct. these areas, and so they don't have the right infrastructure, they don't have the right roads in and out, and they don't have the con. Big context that we need now you know the big box retail and things that's not what we're looking for we don't need six bunnings within two kilometers of each other and in fact as far as i know i've never caught the train to bunnings because i'm always collecting ladders and bits of wood and things like that so they can go further out where there's a massive big car park attached to them So we need to retrain, I think, the whole concept of what these town centres look like. And this is an area because certainly in and I know this would be the case in other growth areas, we don't own the town centres. We're fortunate that we do own the one um, adjacent to the A-League development. Usually we don't. They're owned by a developer and developers have a very set way of thinking about how things should happen. And as one of the managers... um, at Wyndham said to me when I, I said we needed a particular road through a town centre to connect up the train station, and, and I said, well, well, we will do what we have to do to get it. And he said, Oh, they're not going to like it. And I said, My job's not to be liked. My mm-hmm. job is actually to make sure I do whatever I can to not make a mistake that is going to cost us in 20 or 30 years' time. So we have to fight the fight, whether we win or not, at VCAT or wherever else it has to go you know, is up to the powers that be. But councils, I think, at least have to start having these really strong, substantive positions and fight it as much as they can if we're ever going to make a change um, for the greater good.
0: Thank you to Song Bowden planners who offer excellent personalised service. Call Dave Song or Dan Bowden through details on our website.
1: Also, we thank Victorian Planning Reports, our very first supporter. If you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials, please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs. Details on our website. And taking a broader view, Kate, of your former role as the CEO of the Committee for Melbourne, mm-hmm. can you tell our listeners a little bit about the organisation?
2: Yeah, so Committee for Melbourne is quite a unique organisation in that it's it's a member-funded and member-based organisation. So it's made up of a lot of the businesses that are surrounding us here in the CBD are members of the Committee for Melbourne. And It's almost like a think tank group. So it brings those members together to provide their expertise in specific topics that you're talking about. So when I was at the Committee for Melbourne, one of those big things, for example, our membership helped us with was a lot of that um, transit-oriented development, PPP style, um, how we pay for other infrastructure. So um, the committee put out an excellent report into those particular opportunities and that was driven off the back of member input for that. One of the other things um, Committee for Melbourne played... a very influential role um, in when I was there was the development of infrastructure Victoria as an independent entity so that was again something that we worked with our members to look at all the pros and cons and some principles and then we worked with government
1: so, so it's apolitical it is apolitical yes yeah, doesn't. Great. yeah it doesn't
2: we I would go to the minister and I would go to the shadow minister and say this is what we're doing um, and I would say heads up you are probably not going to like what we say in the media tomorrow but you always give them the heads up so that they know but it's entirely apolitical it's there to push an agenda for the growth of the city in a positive way and you know we have been the world's most livable city um, we are you know dropped off that top spot there and a lot of that is because of our transport infrastructure so it's those big conversations around how you actually ensure that you stay livable. And that's a critical thing. Um, we can be a very big city and we can be a very big livable city or we can be a very big unlivable city. And I'm sure we've all travelled to various places um, that, that fit into both of those categories around the world.
1: And how important are standalone think tanks, Kate, in terms of creating the right, i call it creative commons?
2: Yeah, I think they are really important because even... Um, I was in a, a board meeting yesterday, and uh, with a it's a very diverse uh, board, and some of the thinking that it threw up was, you know, absolutely. You'd look at it and you go, "That is so out there and not something." <laughs> this is a transport um, sector board, and it's a, it's not something that you'd normal normally think um, of even doing or considering, much less think is possible. But when you actually sit down and tease that out, you go, "You know what? There is no reason that we can't have a fully integrated transport system." For example, we just have to think differently. So. From such a diverse group, and the Committee for Melbourne has everything from arts and cultural groups, not-for-profits, right through to your bank, big banks and various other groups as members. It brings this diversity of thinking that you don't normally get if you're a representative group of a particular sector, um, for example, you know, a, a specific, the Property Council or UDIA or something, it tends to be um, similar thing there, whereas the Committee for Melbourne can really bring a diversity that sometimes shocks you. But out of each of those crazy ideas comes a a little kernel of something that you go, you know, that might actually work.
0: Mm. Just on that front, obviously our cities have changed significantly with all the new technology that we now have and economic practices. How should city formulators respond to that? I think we just so have we to use it. Yeah,
2: we just have to think differently. I mm. think we, and you know, again, I was um, I was at a board that um, dealt with, deals with the trains here in um, Melbourne, a board that I chair, and we were talking about, and I said, do we, does everything need to be heavy gauge rail? Still, there have to be other ways to actually um, make things more flexible, do things more cheaply than, yes, we need heavy gauge rail for our metro um, tunnel that we're doing now. But in joining up different areas, we don't need to keep going with heavy-gauge rail. So what's, what are other places doing? What's yeah, happening Singapore's in this technology? Singapore's doing some space?
1: great things. Singapore's doing some yeah. great things with the light rail there. Yeah, Connecting Singapore. up with the Metro, the MRT. Yeah,
2: yeah so, um, trackless trams. You mm. know, there's all these sorts mm. of things that are coming up. Electric mm. bikes. You know, mm. that We don't need to keep thinking the old way. We do need some old things, but we need to actually look at what's going to happen in 20 years' time. Because I still do not understand, our Jetsons, why we aren't up in the air actually traveling around because to me i was like it can be done i saw it at the smart cities conference in barcelona last year you know you, you can actually have drones that carry people mm. why are we not actually going there with this sort of future thinking mm. so,
1: so this is all gets back to the importance of blue sky thinking okay mm. yeah you, you think we don't do enough of that
2: i don't think we do and, mm. I, and I think there's two things and you know the um, the conversation we often have with the operational group at at work versus me who says why can't we do it (laughs) is that um, you still need to do your operational things but I think if you don't aspire to blue sky thinking and at least have a vision Mm. then you're never going to get there and I always say um, when I get in my car and say I've got to go to somewhere in the southeast that I don't know very well I don't just get in my car and drive because I sort of know the way there I've find out my destination and i work out a series of steps to get there. We don't seem to be doing that with our big picture planning. So where do we want to be? What sort of city do we want to be um, as Werribee? What sort of municipality do we want to be as Wyndham? Now what can we actually do to get to that marker in the ground so that in 20 years time we're not sitting there going, oh, gee, we, we took all these little steps down this road and actually we should have veered left here instead of going right. So I think you have to have some kind of big-picture grand plan, otherwise you're just going to step along following yeah. out everybody else. Is it,
1: is it that saying, yesterday's ideas deliver yesterday's results? Yeah,
2: look, I always yeah. say, um, you know, I, I do um, travel overseas a lot for, for work and um, I'll have, the you know, a local journalist say, oh, you overseas again, what were you doing? And I'll give them a list of 20 meetings or whatever I had. But I'm like, I'm not going to make this municipality a better municipality, a world-leading municipality by looking in my own backyard. I need to go and see what everybody else is doing and not do what they do I need to do something that's 20 years ahead of what they're even thinking. That's the way that we're going to actually get forward. And I can tell you, I don't know how many times people said to me, you'll never get this A-League licence. It <laughs> cannot be done. It, it's done. We've got the licence. And they keep saying to me, you, you should deserve a medal if you get this delivered. I'm like, we will get it delivered because we have to. Yeah. Um, but it's, it works. The model works. You've just got to have people with the wherewithal and the will and the vision to actually get behind it. And, I mean, it's hard
1: happened. for government sometimes with inertia. There's a lot of criticism, show me the precedent, yep. show me an example. If there's no example immediately, it's mm. hard to be a pioneer. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, well, look, we have... It's the great advantage, as I keep saying to our planners and things. I say, oh, do it this. And I was like, this hasn't been done before. So there is no way to do it. This is... We're in that area between what you normally do and what the Act says you absolutely cannot do. There's this whole area that we have to start testing the boundaries. So it's a great thing. The, the downside is there is no precedent to just say this is how you do it. So you have to work it out as you go. But I tell you, you do one, then everybody else is going to be sitting there going, mm, actually, how do we do how do we do these things as well? And not only that, but state government goes, you, you have to a- add to the funding pool that we've got collectively. Um, and that's what um, we're trying to do in areas that is um, non-essential. So schools and hospitals, you know, Tim Treasurer, put your money towards that. We're desperate for more schools. We're desperate for more hospitals. In, in Wyndham, we are growing so fast, we can't keep pace. Things that are non-essential in that um, human services sense, but we have to have them for that sense of place and identity, I'll find out a way that we can actually deliver that ourselves. Collectively, we have to start doing more of this. There just isn't enough um, funding to go around and we're not going to go to the you know, Swedish style, 25% across the board taxation style system where you can have that true social economy.
0: So. Mm. Do you have any ideas on how you might achieve that? Anne? in Wyndham, you were saying with the, with the growth and requiring that many new schools, hospitals. Yes. So do you have any ideas at this point or is it oh, a yeah, well, work in progress? No, yeah, I <laughs> am
2: working on um, ways that, again, we can potentially leverage assets or leverage something that we've got to develop, um, you know, not public schools, they are the domain of the, the government, but can we d- develop some private schools which can actually take the load off? Again, that's you know, I guess it's where that director of deals sort of things come in. How do we actually strike up a deal that is going to work for both the municipality and a school who needs land to build on but also needs to build. So where do we strike that? There is an example of a PPP-style development that's going up for a a hospital in um, Brisbane at the moment. We're looking at closely because that's one of these other models of actually how you can accelerate the build. And again, it's about taking some of the pressure off the state government and federal government purse strings to, to just make more go around because... So I keep saying to my councillors, it's not the state government for Wyndham, it's the state government for Victoria, and everybody needs more services. We're just growing so quickly.
1: Yeah. Kate, is there like a portal or, or something like that where we can consider the best of urban development around the world?
2: There isn't, unfortunately, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it often ends up in trapped in the brains of people who go around and, um, and look at different things, and it, it's difficult to get that out. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to work for four years at the tennis, and Jeff Pollard, um, who had been the, the chair and CEO for a long time, 21 years, uh, when I was there, knew everything about the history of the Grand Slams, and courtesy of the fact that um, there were these extensive negotiations that we went through for four years, I learned so much about the structure of the tennis tournaments and the International Tennis Federation and the history of that tennis from Jeff, but it resides in my head, um, it resides in Jeff's head, and you just don't have time to to put that down, and you know, these contracts those agreements are confidential as well so there's a limited amount that while i know the the um structure of the commerciality of the tennis deals and and the deal that we do with the a league they're commercially confident so there's a limit as well in terms of how much you can actually release Mm -hmm. publicly and i know everybody wants to know but it's like it's you know the developers are the ones who are investing in this and we have to keep their confidence um in that as well so it's a it's very careful line you have to tread but no i'm not aware of anywhere that sort of you can just go like, to and like
1: a wikipedia of, yeah, uh, of, no, of, of smart um, city development
2: because they happen in in sporadic places mm. around the world you know there's some really good examples but unfortunately we need someone who who draws them together and captures them because I'm like I'm sure as you both have been overseas and looked at other exemplars and things and certainly add to that knowledge base and you know those I don't know 40 or 50 different um, stadium developments I've visited when I was at tennis have added to this vast knowledge and understanding of those things but it's almost impossible to put it down in a in a format where someone else can actually access that information.
0: Do you have a message for any of the town planners and allied professionals out there with things that we could be doing better or things that we should be um, aspiring yeah, to? Yeah, look, it's, it, and I'll and I
2: discern here between the statutory town planners who have a very, um, you know, almost regimented set of guidelines that they have to adhere to. And so I get that they're in a, in a different sort of position. But those who are urban planners, visionary planners, you have to start thinking outside the box and we have to start looking not not just the good things that are happening in australia and overseas but the bad things as well what hasn't worked when they've tried and start learning more so we really have to start to stretch our imaginations a lot more i'd like to say to the stat planners as well please stretch your imaginations a little bit
1: but that gives Um, that's that asks them i think Kate, to be successful in that way they need to have some time off like half a half a day every fortnight just to say Let's reflect, mm-hmm. rather than here's another application. Yeah, here's yeah. another application. Yeah, there's give
2: here. them the opportunity to to. And it, you know, it's a, like I say with lecturers, go out and work, you know, for for a couple of years, and and then come back in. And you know, as a guest lecturer, I go in and say this doesn't really work like that out in the, in the sports world in particular. There's a big long queue for Andrew Demetrio's seat, and um, unfortunately, first year grads, you're not in it. So, um, I think there's part of that thing of um, that experiential understanding. I think you're exactly right. What else is happening there? Whereas, particularly for our stat planners, it's next, next, next. And look, I've got a planning app in in, in one of the council, I'm like, hurry up, come yeah. on, you know. <laughs> how long is this gonna take? I work at a council, so it's not my, not, my, uh, not Wyndham council, but it, it is a process, but you're only going to learn, as I say, by looking at others, learning from others, um, because there isn't this brain dump that you can sort of give and say, here's how you do it.
1: Mm. Now, something passionate to most uh, Victorians. You're a director of the Melbourne Football Club. Yes. It's a grand oh, old flag. I think that's how it goes, isn't it? It is a bit, yeah, its It's a, a high-line
2: flag, <laughs> hopefully, this year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the oldest sporting club in the world. Yeah, yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. I think it was
2: 1850. 1858. Mm, mm-hmm.
1: Just before Geelong. Yeah. Uh, and how it, has it... How have you been... How, that's the experience being like as a director yeah. of the of a pretty male traditional male bastion, yeah. the Melbourne Football Club for listers outside of the state. It's very, it's traditionally very conservative, mm-hmm. and the upper end, the sort of the the upper. Uh, rich club, yeah.
2: I would say. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's a um, it's an interesting one. I, my friend um, Charlie Lovick, who I ride horses with up in Merigig, um would, would who's been a lifelong Melbourne supporter, would argue that it's the rich um, the rich people here in Melbourne. We do have a diverse set, but there is a perception that um, don't go to the football in um, don't bother going during um, winter because everyone's in their up at the snow in their Range Rovers. So we do we do have that thing, and we embrace that. Um, We love the fact that um, people say, oh, you get your cheese plate when you come to the Melbourne um, matches. Great. Um, I'm I'm not a pie and chips girl, so um, the cheese plate suits me just fine. But the journey since I've been on the board and I came in when Paul Ruse came in as coach um, was to actually entirely rebuild that club. It was a transformational thing. It is. It's a a cultural transformation. Mm. And uh, from when I started um, nearly six years ago now... To now, we just had Simon Goodwin's, our current coach now. We just had our boys and our girls. We have an AFLW team and we're pioneers in that area. So um, we have very much been involved in the women's game for a long time. Uh, The girls and the boys were both away at camps, interstate, and cafe owners and people actually uh, provided feedback that said we have never met a a more pleasant and um, professional group of athletes um, than the Melbourne Football Club. Now, to me... um, I do want us to win a flag, but I, I don't care if we I don't win a flag so long as that cultural thing and so long as the club is spoken about in that in that way. Respect and that the players are respectful of the opportunity that they've got, are respectful of um, the support that goes into um, making them elite um, men and male and female players. And I would say our females certainly understand um understand that but it's the cultural thing and the change in that club that has impressed me most from the players right through to the staff um and that's why you sit on boards and um, particularly volunteer boards because being part of that transformation and that journey has been incredible and
1: Kate, that's the same with companies councils the leadership and just building that dignity and respect would you say that
2: exactly and look i've um You know, this is something that a lot of people don't normally acknowledge or say as a policy, but I'll give our our councillors, our elected, elected officials, a plug here because they back me in on these deals that others would look at and go... We're just not sure, you know, um, and I do my due diligence and make sure I've um, ticked every box, but they trust and they are willing to have a go at creating our own future. And that's one of the really great things about um, our CEO, Kelly Grigsby, um, you know, I know would back me to the hilt and as would the councillors, they are willing to step out and say, we're we're not going to do things um, in the same old, same old way. We're actually going to try and do something that creates a future for this municipality, and that's you know one of the reasons I work at Windham, and it's probably one of the reasons it's one of the few councils I would actually work at because they've got the courage to actually take um, take on this sort of journey.
0: And what would you say to yourself on your first day of work? <laughs> Which Is this my new job or is this, a,
2: <laughs> is this the job? New job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, um, you know, I just in fact put this in an email to one of my um, staff this morning. I just said, uh, one of my coaches when I was uh, an athlete playing um, said, no one trains for second place. And I think that's the thing um, I've always thought, you know, I'm I'm not here to, to come second. We're here to, to win at what we do. And um, I've once at the Institute of Sport, had the great fortune to spend some time with Bryce Courtney and he said, um, you know, what do you want to do? And I was, you know, 21 or something, I had no idea. I said, I'll be the head of the International Olympic Committee and he said, you know what, someone has to be it, it might as well be you. And that's the thing I always um, say to people I mentor or whatever. Someone has to do everything. You know, someone has to... There has to be someone to do everything. Why can't it actually be you? So someone has to deliver one of those PPP sport projects here in Australia and build a privately built stadium why can't it be us
1: and Kate just finishing up what what are you reading or listening to now that's caught your attention
2: so I'm actually uh, reading a book called the organized mind Um, I think (laughs) (laughs) I actually um, I have so many balls in the air and I've um, I don't actually have a problem juggling them myself but my staff have a trouble um, (laughs) keeping up with them so I'm actually reading something called the organized mind which is um, you know you see those people who've got those passwords that are hashtag string FBZ uh, exclamation mark 42F. Well, I actually have those passwords now thanks to this book which actually um, said this is how you, you make those passwords up. Um, and so I'm like, oh, now I've, I do my hashtag string ampersand um, FC passwords and everyone goes, oh. But they're actually quite simple. You just have to have an organised mind and an organised way of
0: um, doing them. So mm. Mm,
2: nice. hopefully it's helping.
1: And, and Jess, what's caught your attention lately?
0: I've been doing a thing called park run. On a Saturday, which is a 5k volunteer um, run event every, every Saturday in different parks around the world, um, time trialled, and you get your results by email, and each week you try and beat it. It's a fantastic organisation if you're mm. a keen, yeah, one of our a keen our runner.
2: Is, um, Peter Maynard, good morning, Peter. He's um, become obsessed with that, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's he really has.
0: good.
1: It's great, Jess. It's great.
0: So less reading, Pete, more running. Good, 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 get (laughs)
1: active. Well, Kate, thanks very much for a a fantastic uh, interview. And uh, listeners, um, thanks again for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Uh, We also urge you to listen to the Urban Broadcast Collective, which we are a part of. It's a curated uh, list of podcasts produced in Australia and it's excellent fun and uh, very enjoyable. So thanks again, Jess, and thanks, Kate. Thank you.